Mr. Street was right as a pastor for 10 years and I just stepped away. And I know how hard it is to enter into the process of a church to find a, a new leader. And so I feel you. I know how hard it is, but I want to just encourage you. You know, at times we want to do this and white knuckle our way through and think that we have to do everything. God is sovereign. He knows who your pastor, who your lead minister is right now. He knows where he's at. He's already identified that person. So would you just do me a favor and hold your hands up and ball your fists really tight and just open them up and let go and say, God's got this. He is sovereign. He's got this. He knows who that person is going to be. Stay unified. Stay open-handed and let the Holy Spirit guide you to that person. Stay out of the way, but do your work. Do your work. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for this courageous church that has allowed me to speak on this stage this morning. There's a lot of churches that would, wouldn't allow it, but this church has opened their doors I pray that humility is here, that love is spoken, and truth is not compromised. I ask that you guide the leaders of this church and this church family to that person that's going to lead this church, to that minister, and that in the time until that person's here that you will just cover and protect this church but also remind this church you're still called to do the work there's no pause button in church work lord but you continue to work through this church to reach the lost because our community is filled with hopelessness rage and ignorance lord but you have equipped this church to battle those three things lord so use this church in a mighty way in your holy name we pray amen there's a scripture that reminds me of you, and it's Colossians 1, 3. It says this. It says, we always, let me stop right there. It's my family, my lovely wife, Lindy, and my daughter, Gracie, and my son, Jordan. So I want to acknowledge them first. Colossians 1, 3 says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up in heaven. When I read that, I think of you. Before I met any of you in your congregation, I heard of Fourth Avenue Church of Christ. Your name has gone out from this building for years, and I met Mr. Street six years ago. But everywhere I go, I run into you in coffee shops, at events, and I love the hearts that are here. I love it. And that scripture reminds me, I love the backside of that verse 2 of Colossians 1.5. It says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, and it is bearing fruit and increasing. The church wins. Jesus wins. You can't stop the gospel. It's been increasing since the time of Paul, and it's still increasing today. Yes, there's craziness in this world. There's darkness and hopelessness and rage, but the gospel is increasing, and may it increase within this body. That is good news, right? It's a perfect time to be the church in America. 
It's a good time to be a Christian in America. The country now needs us more than ever to be the church, to be Christians that get beyond these walls and this beautiful building and these beautiful pews and get out into our communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you again, our community here in there where I stand at 412 D.B. Todd is filled with ignorance rage and hopelessness and we have an answer to all three of those things mr street was right mark was right today's topic is tough so i just want to hit it head on and be honest with you it is tough and it is filled i have here it's pregnant and i realized i didn't even mean to say that it's pregnant with all kinds of emotions anger hurt loss depression, suppression, suicide, and fear. We've made it a political issue. It's not. It's a spiritual issue. Somebody in this room has dealt with it. One in four women in our country, they say it's even greater than that. Yeah, you're here. Hear me. I do not shame you. There's no shame coming from me and there's no shame coming from this church. I care and I love you. And this church does too. Men that are sitting here, you're the forgotten ones that have suppressed the pain of abortion. Don't suppress it anymore. Lift your hands off that pain and off that suppression and let the Lord heal you. Everywhere I've spoken when I've left this stage, a man and a woman will run up to me and they'll ask two questions. Is there mercy for me and does the pain ever end? Yes in Jesus. Yes in Jesus. The pain will end and his mercy is for you. Some of those women and men that have run to me and asked those two questions now stand with me and rescue children. We serve a God of redemption, don't we? Come on, he can take the worst moment of your life and redeem it and do something beautiful out of it. How do I know that? Romans 8, 28 tells me that. And so here we are, six years ago, I was pastoring Christ Life Community in Smyrna. Ferguson, Missouri was happening. There was rage across the country. There was racial tension. And churches didn't know what to do. Our country didn't know what to do. Politicians didn't know what to do. And a young man came up to me, African-American man, and he put his finger in my chest. And he says, what are you going to do as a pastor to battle the tension that's in our country? And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to share Jesus. And I'm going to share the gospel. And he looked at me and said, it's not enough. Since when is Jesus not enough? Since when is Jesus not an answer to racism and hatred and rage? He says, it's not enough. I said, then you tell me what the answer is. You just want me to hold a sign? You want me to go pick it? Because I'm not that guy. What do you want me to do? He goes, I don't know. And I left that meeting angry at that young man. I left that meeting angry at his statement. I left that meeting angry at our culture. Because where's the Christian voice in our culture? Fox News controls the narrative. CNN News controls the narrative. 
I don't know which one you agree or disagree with, but they have an agenda. Both of them do. Both of them. Did you realize that? And I was a news junkie. And I was like, but that's not, that's not truth. Truth is not getting out to our culture. I have 250 people coming into my church and listening to my message, but it's the same 250 people. But our culture is not getting truth. When are they going to get truth? How do I get it to them? And I found myself filled with anger. And I knew if I held on to that anger, it would become bitterness. And Romans 12, 15 says, don't let the root of bitterness settle in, that you become defiled and defile everything around you. I was on the brink of letting that root settle in and defiling myself, my family, and my church. 24 hours later, I was sitting in a Starbucks in Smyrna, packed with people, and I'm trying to focus on the Word of God. I'm trying to prepare a sermon, and I'm dealing with rage. I'm looking around like everybody acting like everything's okay in Starbucks and Frothy Monkey. Everything's a scone and a latte, right? Everybody's good. And I realized they're not. There's rage in our country. There's ignorance, there's hopelessness, there's depression. Lord, take it. Take my anger. Take it. I lifted my hands up. I was in Starbucks. I said, I lifted my hands up. I said, you have to take it, but give me something in return. And he spoke. He spoke to my heart and he said, engage abortion." What? Lord, give me something else. <laughs> Can I go clothe the homeless or something or whatever? Feed somebody? Give me something else? And he says, mm -mm, he burned it in my heart. Engage abortion. I thought that was the, the spark, but the spark didn't start there. A year earlier, I was in Louisville. I was at a conference, and I was with 10,000 pastors in a building, and we were worshiping. It was beautiful. The word was spoken. And then lunch came up, and they said, you guys go to lunch. And I said, oh, this is interesting. 10,000 pastors are getting ready to walk through Louisville. We're going to change Louisville. This is going to be awesome. And so I was about midway through, about 5,000, walking down the street going, this is going to be so amazing. Like 10,000 Christians walking through Louisville. And I looked over and there was a young lady over here praying. And I, I thought, well, that's interesting. We're all walking by the lady, but, and she's praying. And we're 10,000 we're 10, Christians, but nobody's asked, why is she praying? And so I walked past her and I was like, this is weird. I'm not going to be that guy. So I, I walked over and said, ma'am, why are you, I see you're praying. Forgive me for interrupting you. Why are you praying? And she said, they're killing babies here. This is an abortion facility. And I went, oh. 10,000 pastors just walked by. And we didn't see it. We didn't see it. And I realized, I've never seen it. A year later, I'm in Starbucks. And the Lord allows me to see it. I said, all right, Lord, I'll go. I googled abortion. I didn't know if they happened in Franklin or Smyrna or wherever. And I saw two locations in Nashville, Welshwood, and I saw Planned Parenthood on B.B. Todd. I said, I'll go to Welshwood. It's closer. And I went with no intention to do anything but sit in my car. And I pulled up. 
and eventually got out, had to protect a young lady that was getting verbally accosted by a gentleman, and I deflected him to me, and then I went toe-to-toe with a young man for two hours, just sharing love and truth, and every time I would corner him logically or spiritually, he would rise up and threaten me and say, ah, you know I can whip you, and I said, I know you could. I know you could, but do you hear the truth, and do you feel my love? I left there that day. He killed his child, and I went and got gas at Mapco. I was pumping gas. I looked at my hands. My hands were shaking. I was like, Lord, is this what you want me to do? And he said, yes. I figured out that that hill was called Hell's Hill, right across from Walmart on Knowlesville Road. It's called Hell's Hill. There's two apartment complexes on either side. I figured out that on Tuesdays and Fridays, they abort children there. I said, I'll go Tuesday and Friday. Didn't really tell anybody I was going. And just showed up and I was was like, can I make a difference? Can one man make a difference? But I got to get truth out there. I got to get truth. So I knew I needed to possess three things. Love, humility, and truth. And I couldn't compromise any three And so I was really close to the front doors, close to me and Mr. Hewitt right here. And a person would get out of the car and I was like, all right, Holy Spirit, give me something. Can I pray with you, ma'am? I'm Pastor Scott. I come in love. There's no shame here. I'll walk with you. We'll help you. Anything you face, we'll do it. Don't, Don't kill your child. There's other options. Let's go get an ultrasound somewhere else. I didn't really think anybody would listen. And then one day, Miss Tina pulls up. Hey, come here for a second. I'd just love to pray with you. And she comes over. I'm like, oh, okay. They'll come to me. I said, hey, I care. I want to help you. Are you pregnant? Yeah. Are you here for an ultrasound? Yeah, I'll have an ultrasound because I have to have that, and then I can abort my child. Okay. And I just shared the gospel with her. She says, well, what do you want me to do? I said, let's go somewhere else and get an ultrasound. And we did. We left that building. She followed me to the Hope Clinic in Nashville. We walked in, and she came out 30 minutes later and said, look at my boy. And I said, boy, that's awesome. I said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to keep him. That was one. Yeah. And I went, really? I can make a difference? One man can. And I said, I'll walk with you, Tina, whatever you need. I had no idea that one would turn into five, to 10, to 20. I realized real quick I'm not wealthy enough to meet all the promises that I was making these women. And I went back to the church and I stood up at the pulpit here. And I did what I did here, not talking about and not realizing that one in four people had aborted their child. And families walked out. I didn't know what was going on. And the church was critical. How are you representing the church? Are you shaming people? Are you yelling people? Are you one of those people that hold those signs? Come stand with me and see what I do. See the love and the humility and the truth that's told. And the church got behind me because pregnant moms started coming to church and sitting in the pews. And all of a sudden these rescues started running up and down our aisles. But then the church came to me and they said, hey, we're 250 people, we got a small budget, and we've spent $35,000 this year helping moms and babies. 
I blew the benevolent budget out of the world. You see, you got to do something else, so organized operation saving life. I would go back every Tuesday and Friday to Hell's Hill, and I realized it was bigger than that, bigger than abortion. It was filled with prostitutes, drug addicts, Muslims, largest Muslim population was right there. The Lord said, take the hill back, take loneliness off this hill, pray with everybody, share the gospel with everybody. And I got to where I was stopping cars. Cars eventually got so used to seeing me, it was a prayer thing. People would come down to Welshwood and stop and pray with me. Muslims would stop and pray with me. And they'd say, hey, Scott, tell me, why did Mary have to be born? Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Ishmael, I can't uh, tell you that right here. You need to have me in your house, and I'll tell that. Okay, come eat breakfast with my family. And I found myself sitting with Muslim families, telling them why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. I saw miracles. I saw the best of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father there. Kevin used to stand behind me on this hill, a guy that lived in the apartments, and he was so angry at me, and he used to talk about how he was going to burn me alive. Every day he would come out, stand on the hill, and say, Scott, I'm going to douse you in gasoline, and I'm going to throw a match and watch you burn, and I'm going to enjoy it. Every day, Kevin would do that. And one day I said, Kevin, come and talk to me face to face. And he did, and one day he was proclaiming that to my face, and I said, Holy Spirit, you give me something right now to speak to Kevin and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said ask him what he needs I said Kevin can I speak for one second he said yeah I said what do you need he goes what do you mean what do I need I said what do you need he says I need toothpaste okay I'm gonna go get you toothpaste and I went to Walmart got him toothpaste and a bag of groceries and I brought it back to him and I said here Kevin and he took the groceries and he sat down and began to weep and it broke him he said, you know, my dad was a pastor, and he abused me, and my family blamed me, and they alienated me, and I hate Christians, and I hate pastors, and I know you're a Christian, and I know you're a pastor. And he says, I'm sorry. He accepted the Lord right there. He accepted the Lord right there. From that day forward, Kevin would go around the premises and gather wire off the ground, and he would form crosses on the hill behind me and hear the gospel and he'd come and lay them at my feet and say, Scott, would you give that to the next woman that chooses life? That's the power of God. That's the power of what, what God is doing. The why behind what I do. Science tells us at the moment of conception, there's a flash of light. There's a unique, one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-duplicated-again child. DNA is created. In that moment, hair color, eye color, sex of a child is determined. At 22 days, a heart begins to beat. At week three, eyes and ears can be seen. Week six, fingers and toes. From week six to 11, the baby will grow five times in size. By week 11, they smile, they frown. Fingers and toes begin to appear, and they begin to choose which thumb they like the best to suck. Week 13, the baby began to hear vibrations at six months. Everything has been developed. Week 38 to 42, the child comes into this world. In our current state, in our nation, the state of New York celebrated several years ago by lighting up all the buildings in New York City red, celebrating that you can kill a child now all the way up to birth. 
The state of Virginia, the governor there even said, we'll go even further. If the child survives abortion, we'll wrap it in a blanket and make it comfortable. Then we'll kill it. Planned Parenthood knowingly in testimony, in court testimony, as of within the last year, has admitted to harvesting body parts of children. 3,000 children a day die in our country of abortion. Planned Parenthood killed 355,000 children last year. Most of them African American. When I stand in Nashville, eight out of ten people that walk in the front door of that building are African American. The founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was a white woman who hated brown skinned people that said, You're unworthy to live. You're animals. 86% of Planned Parenthoods are put in black neighborhoods. And just to be honest with you, it breaks my heart. And it makes me angry because I hate racism. But I can't fight the old way I used to fight. I have to fight a new way. The way that Jesus called me to fight. So each day now, I go to 412 DB Todd because Welshwood is closed. They no longer kill children. They killed 77,000 children, but we took the hill back. Thank you. Unfortunately, tomorrow they will be killing children. Last Monday, over 40 babies were aborted, some of them as late as 22 weeks. Our land is polluted with blood. But there's good news. And the good news is, is that God is the creator of life. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew of you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Basically, God is saying, man, I have holy plans for every child. Psalm 139.16 says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Your book were written, every one of them. The days were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, the fruit of the womb as a reward. Psalm 139.13-16 says, I formed your inward parts. You knitted me together in the womb. I praise you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. In Luke 1, we see an angel appear to Elizabeth and speaks to her and says, there's a child in your womb. He's going to be blessed and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't say a clump of cells was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said a child would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary appears with Jesus within her womb. John the Baptist responds. The first one to ever respond to Jesus was John the Baptist in the womb as a child. Who are we to put our hands on that child? It's not a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a gospel issue. It's a Jesus issue. And as Christians, we have a moral imperative to stand up and speak for the innocent children in the womb who can't speak for themselves. My body, my right? No way. 
It's your body, but there's another body within your body that has inalienable rights that we don't have a right to kill. I care about the woman. We walk with these moms. We help these moms. There's no dollar amount. There's no time amount. Because as a church, we're called to make disciples. You don't put a dollar on that. You don't put a time on it. You just do the hard work of making disciples, and that's what we do. But that child in the womb has value. It's not just a physical issue. I see so many women coming out of Planned Parenthood crying. You have to ask yourself, why do they come out of the building crying? Why do women come to me five years later, ten years later, twenty years later, still crying when they left the building? Why? Because they were made in the image of God, just like all of us. And we were made to love, to be loving, nurturing, and protective, and to live sacrificially for, not to sacrifice something else. And when you go against that image-bearing part of what God designed you to be, it does something to you spiritually, and it crushes you. And that's why we see so many women crushed decades later asking, does the pain ever end? spiritual you see it in the scriptures in Genesis 19 you have the Moabites the Ammonites the daughters of Lot that had an incestuous relationship with the father formed those two clans and they formed an evil god of Molech who they would take children to innocent children and they would heat up Molech and put the baby in the hands of Molech and the baby would melt and they would just drum drums louder so you wouldn't hear the screams of the children and God told Israel have nothing to do with that God and Israel disobeyed and they did and God punished them the drums haven't stopped beating they haven't stopped beating and the children haven't stopped because it's the church hearing what drums are getting in the way of the church that keep us from responding to the God of Melech that has sacrificed 65 million children in our country there's good news Jesus is king he's on the throne Ephesians 1 says that the Father raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of authority. Above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named in this age, abortion, and the ones to come. That's my God, that's my Jesus. And even more beautiful... Or even just as beautiful in Ephesians 2, he says, We too who are in Christ have also been raised in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ as well. Matthew 28, 18 says, All authority, not some authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So therefore, church, leave the building. Leave the pews and go get dirty and get busy making disciples because the gospel wins thank you he calls the church to fight in his way against this injustice 
The blessed church of our age will be the one who gets out of the pews and leads the charge against this injustice. The bold church will be blessed. The engaging church that shepherds its community into the community will be blessed. The church of the pews will fall away and fade away. Young people are rising up. Old people are rising up. Boldness is emerging. That's what I'm seeing. I stood for a year or longer by myself outside of this facility with thousands of churches around me. And that's not tooting my horn. I'm just being honest with you. Rarely. i, I be honest with you. I'm never alone anymore. Lexington, Tennessee, people are driving two hours every week to stand with me. Centerville, hour and a half away. They're driving every Thursday to stand with me. Lebanon, they're coming. Knoxville, Chattanooga, they're coming and they're standing with me. The church is beginning to engage. Let me tell you, the enemy is fighting. I was in a Just Love coffee shop. I love coffee. And I was sitting at a table in Murfreesboro. And a lady was next to me. We were sharing a table. And I had my scriptures open. Another lady sat down right there. It was two of the top two people of Planned Parenthood. Right next to me. What are the chances God has such a sense of humor? And I was like, I was listening to him talk. I was like, what in the world? You know, I'm saying this inside. I said, and the Lord said, don't speak, just listen. Listen to their plans. They laid out a plan. Here's their plan. Door to door with their message. They're going to knock on your door. Three counties, Williamson County, Rutherford County, Knox County. They're going door to door to spread the news that they have to win you over. And then the second strategy is, I'm looking for soft churches. We need to get in soft churches with our message. If that doesn't fire you up, they have lies. They have untruths and they're willing to go door to door. We have truth. We have freedom in our message. What are we to do? Are we to sit quietly? No, the bold church is going to be the church. So here's my challenge to Fourth Avenue. First off, let's repent. I spent decades. I did nothing. I did nothing. Repent. Then we pray. You're a praying church because I know your community is often praying for me. You're praying, but then we have to take action. We're called to be peacemakers. Every one of you in here, if you're a Christ follower, would you raise your hand? All right, look at this room. You're called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers go where there is no peace. Where, where is there no peace? 412 D.B. Todd. 20 babies will die there tomorrow. We're called to be salt, salty. Salty isn't just an influence that makes something taste better, but it, it's a, it doesn't just preserve, but it draws things out. It draws infection out. We need to go where there's infection in. We need to be salt. We, we're called to be light. Planned Parenthood is the heart where babies die, innocent children die. It's the heart of darkness. And we are called to bring that light, to go and bring that light, and it penetrates the darkness. We're called to be rivers of living waters. John 7, 38, Jesus says, if you believe in me, as the scriptures have said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And he says, that's the Holy Spirit. We just sang so many songs about the Holy Spirit. It's called to flow out of your heart, out of this building, and into our communities. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, we're a new creation in Christ. 
Behold the new, the old has gone. But we often stop there, but it continues on. And it says that we've been given the message of reconciliation. And the ministry of reconciliation. And we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. Because God is making his appeal through us. I'll close and I want to show you some pictures. The Good Samaritan story. Young man comes to Jesus and says, what does it take to have eternal life? Jesus says, what does the scripture say? He says, to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. To love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, that's right, go do it. But the young man questions him further. He says, well, who's my neighbor? And he says, well, there's a guy that is going from Jerusalem down to Samaria. He's robbed. He's left half beaten. He says, a pastor sees him as walking by and then goes to the other side of the road and continues on. But then the religious guy, the Levite guy going to do his services also sees the guy, goes to the other side of the road and goes on. But it says the Samaritan came and he saw the individual and he had compassion. He had compassion. Our community is filled with half-beaten, dead people. I don't care how we dress it up in Franklin or Smyrna, whatever. Our communities don't know Jesus. They don't know eternity. They're filled with hopelessness, rage, and ignorance. If you have compassion, the gift of compassion in you, then it's time to get dirty. It's time to go with that individual, just, just whoever God puts in your life to go with that individual and help that person. That's what we're called to do. That's what the church is called to do. The girl on the right, this is just a recent save. What's interesting is her sister, we talked now of an abortion three years ago. We've been walking, actually four years ago, we've been walking with her sister for four years. I've never met this, this young lady until the day she chose life. Her sister was telling her about what we do and said, don't kill your child. She had twins. The week leading up to the abortion, she didn't answer any more calls from her sister. Her sister knew the day she was going in, she was blowing her phone up. This young lady said she was driving to Planned Parenthood her phone was blowing up. She was ignore, ignore, ignore. She knew people were going to be there. And she said, don't look at them, don't look at them, don't look at them. And I was right here. And the Holy Spirit said, run with the car. And I ran with the car for about 15 feet. And I'm going, no, 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 no. Let me pray with you. And all of a sudden she said, this is her words, something stopped my car. And I couldn't go anywhere. And I didn't want to look at you. And I looked at you. And she said, I looked in your eyes and I saw compassion. And I knew right then and there I couldn't kill my twins. We're walking with her. That's right after the moment. You can make a difference. One person can make a difference. Here on the left, the police are called on us all the time. Like, people call and say, hey, are you harassing people? No, I'm sharing love and truth with them. And then the police come down, we pray with them. And they're for us. Show me another picture. 
This is a group just from this past week from Life Point Church that came down. So I train people every day on how to share the gospel. So the church has forgotten how to engage. We've forgotten how y'all have a wonderful testimony. And you're to use it. So I show people how to engage, how to enter in the conversations, how to take that conversation to the gospel. Next picture. This is Lauda. Lauda was going to pull in to Planned Parenthood and kill her child and then kill herself. She speaks zero English. I've had over a dozen rescues of women that speak no English. And I don't find out until afterwards. And then I try to talk to them like, ah, we don't understand each other. And then I ask them, why did you respond to me? And they said, because I feel loved. That's me sitting in her apartment. We're blessing her family. Her mom's going through cancer right now. But we're going to walk with her. We're going to help her. Why? Because the church is called to do what? Make disciples. Next picture. This is Genesis on the left. And that's the child's name. Amani is over here on the right. I threw a baby shower for you. I found more baby showers than any human being alive. I'm also the most flipped off human being ever, okay? Everybody gets flipped off more than me. Um, Amani, 17 years old. She's pulling into the parking lot. Her mom was driving her. And as she was pulling in, I said, Holy Spirit, give me a word. Give me something. And the Holy Spirit, I put my hands out. They stopped the car like, how can I help you? And the Holy Spirit said, ask her her name. She said, Amani. I said, you know what your name means? She goes, no. I said, it means peace. I knew that because I was looking at Amani's children's home in Africa years ago to go on a mission trip. And I thought, well, what's Amani mean? And I looked it up and it said peace. I was like, oh. I said, do you know what peace is? Biblical peace? She said, no. I said, it's the removal of something, but it's better than that. It's completion in something that is complete. Shalom. That's only found in Jesus. And I looked over at her mom, and she's a wreck. She's bawling. I was like, ma'am, what's going on? She said, 17 years ago, I was in this parking lot. She said, an angel intercepted and kept her from aborting Amani. 17 years later, she's in the same parking lot, getting ready to abort her grandchild. God intervened. No way. Jacoby is alive today. I, threw, I was at Jacoby's second birthday at Chuck E. Cheese in Clarksville, and it was awesome. <laughs> That's Genesis right there. Young lady was with her mom as well, pulling in. They had their hand on the door, getting ready to go in. I said, give prayer a chance. And the mom was like, won't hurt anything. She walked over to me, began to share the gospel, because what? The gospel is fruitful, it's increasing, and it's powerful. It's not me, it's the gospel. She hears it, the mom tears out across the parking lot, hysterical, gets in her car, leaves her daughter there. She's 17 years old. She comes back, she says, you're right. You're right. What are we to do? I said, let's leave here, let's go have breakfast at Burger King. We went to Burger King, I said, what are you going to name the child? And they said, Genesis. Meet Genesis. Next picture. Wow. That's Genesis's mom. That's the baby shower I went to. This young lady right here got out of her car and she said, I'm alone. I said, no, you're not. I said, she 
said, I'm alone. I said, no, you're not sure. I don't know you. I said, I know you don't know me, but I got a thousand people that are with me right now praying that stand with me. I said, you've got to trust me. She wanted to kill her child. I said, let me meet a very practical need of yours right now. What do you need? She said, have no clothes. My child Kingston's one year old, don't have any clothes. I said, all right, let's go to Kohl's. Meet me there tonight in Smyrna. She's living in a hotel off Interstate 24 in a bad relationship. She meets me at Kohl's. I said, go get what you get, need to get. Meet me here at the cash register at 7 with everything. Don't spend over $150. She shows up with about $150 worth of clothes. I'm getting ready to pay it. And some guy walks in the store and he goes, Scott? And I'm like, yep. He goes, I know who you are. You don't know who I am. And I think I understand the situation. I'm going to pay for these clothes. And he looks at me and he says, you are not alone. Come on. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. She's doing phenomenal. She's got a great job. We bought her a vehicle so she can get to work. And she is doing phenomenal. She's happy too. Next picture. That's actually Genesis on the left. I got a lot of Genesis pictures. Silas. Buddhist mom, lost hope, is going to kill Silas, kill herself, teenage daughter in middle school is going to kill herself, three, they hadn't eaten food in two days, talking to her, what need can I meet, we hadn't eaten in two days, I got your food, let's go to Walmart right now, load them up, but if you come to church every Sunday, we got a food pantry over here, man, we'll hook you up every Sunday, every Sunday should come in, hear the gospel, food, Gospel, food, discipleship, baptized, all of them, in the name of Jesus. That little guy wasn't in, he was in our house, what, three weeks ago? Next picture. That's Jacoby on the right, that's Imani's, and this is our recent, our most recent child, Kehlani. Kehlani's mom was 18 raped going in to kill her child with her mom just come pray prayed with them they left Kehlani she was going to give it up for adoption place for adoption sorry she's week of the birth she said now I'm going to keep him she's in a great apartment we helped her get an apartment we provided food helped her we're helping the family now that's Kaylani. we had that baby shower in downtown Franklin last Saturday right across the street that's Kaylani. another picture this is a picture of what we do this is a picture of what we do we engage with love humility and truth she's not scared she's being loved and I end on this picture right here that's my boy Q bigger than abortion it's about the gospel at Welshwood Quentin was in a homeless shelter he was going to kill himself he woke up that day he had a temporary job to pick up garbage on Hell's Hill he said you know what I'll just go do this he caught a bus from the homeless shelter to Hell's Hill he's walking up the hill the Lord told me to do what take the hill back Engage everybody. So I'm standing here trying to talk people out of abortions. Quentin's walking up. Hey, man, what's up? Nothing. 
Can I pray with you? Yeah, man. I'll pray with you. I didn't know that he's getting ready to check out. I didn't know that he hated white, white people. But he allowed me to pray. He opened up his eyes. He was crying. I was crying. I said, you okay? He said, I am now. The rest of the day, he picked up garbage. He watched me. He went to his NA meeting that night, Narcotics Anonymous. He walked in. His leader said, hey, Q, something's about wrong. Something's different with you. What's up? He says, I have hope. He says, what happened? He said, I met this crazy dude on the streets where I was picking up garbage, some crazy pastor. He said, what was his name? He said, his name's Pastor Scott. And the lady's like, that's my pastor. You should come to church. Every day I would go pick up Q every Sunday. For years I picked up Q and I brought him to church. He was hooked on heroin, uh, cocaine, heroin, alcohol. We went to Florida three weeks ago. He lives on the south side of Birmingham. He's doing phenomenal. He loves the Lord. He's got a job and he is free. He is free. Come on. He's part of our family. He's our family. So I hope you hear my heart today. The Holy Spirit's here. Compassion is here. And there is injustice out there. Y'all are so set up. And you're already doing the work. But if anything, I just want to encourage you today to walk out of these walls and be the church. Come join me. If you have the flexibility, I know not everybody, some people have to sell tuxedos and things like that and do landscaping. <laughs> Can't come down. But you know what? These guys support me through intense prayer, and I need that. Continue to be that part and be the church. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the calling to be a missionary for the unborn. Thank you for the opportunity to share from this stage today. I pray that it brought you honor. I pray that there was humility, love, and truth spoken, and none of them compromised. Lord, we pray for the mamas tomorrow that will be heading, heading in to abort their children. That, Lord, you'll intervene in some way, that you'll use the church in some way. As a matter of fact, there's twins in this community that hang in the balance right now from this past week that I met at Planned Parenthood. I pray for that young couple right now that those twins in seven months will be a part of this community. Use this church, Lord, in a mighty way. Make them strong. Make them strong and courageous and bold so they can do the hard work that the church is called to do. And all the while, bless this church. Protect this church. And let your favor rest upon this church. In your holy name we pray. Amen.